been keeping me in prayer with that. But we um, wanted to look at this this idea today as we're looking at our church. And one of the reasons we exist as a church, and I, I don't know if you believe me sometimes when I say these things, but when I look across our church, I see people who are leaders. I see people who are equipped to go to uh, reach different segments of the city. And so we talk about transforming communities. One of the things about that in, in, at the village where we represent a wide variety of different folks, we believe that you are to be called here to be equipped in the gospel, that your life will be transformed, and that you're sent to different communities that maybe are unique to you. And that's one of the beautiful things about our church here. So my, as, as I look across a room like this, you might not feel like it, but I see leaders so our goal is to equip leaders, and, and in doing that today, we want to look at some ideas of what does leadership look like according to the gospel, according to the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I think we have the verses also up on the screen, but we're going to start in John chapter 13. This is on page 770 of the Bibles and the pews if you want to use those. Um, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take this with you after today. We're starting in John chapter 13 and verse 1. And this is near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. But in verse 1 we read, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So when we look at the chronology here, this is near the end of Jesus' earthly life, his earthly ministry. So this phrase you see here, hour has come. If you attract throughout Jesus' life, he uses phrases like, my hour has not yet come. My hour is not young. When people would ask different questions, he's basically saying it's not time for that. Now his hour has come. The purpose of why Jesus came to the earth to ultimately put his life on a cross and to give his life as a sacrifice, it's the time has come. And those of you who've, who've gone through this process with others, you know that words take on a different significance when we know that the end of life is near. You know, we call them last words that we give much more gravity to them. People, if they know their time has come, they, they put every thought they have into their final words. So that's what we have here at Christ. And as it, as it reads here in verse 1, that he loved them to the end. The purpose of this is to show the greatest nature of love. What does love look like? Um, maybe one way you can think about that when we think about loving to them to the end, the full extent of his love. That Jesus' love here is complete. It's, it's all-encompassing. He's giving a picture of what does love fully in Christ look like here, that in a world of full of broken promises and, and flimsy commitments, and I know none of us have any experience with that, right? We don't know anything about flimsy commitments or people not coming up under word with you. I mean, we all live with perfect people. But for some people, they live in a world where people don't follow their word. In a world like that, Jesus' love here is meant to be revolutionary. Let's continue verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the hearts of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And and before we look at the actual physical nature of the the foot washing here, you see in verses 2 and 3, these are really key verses to recognize what's happening in this whole story here. Um, What we see in verses 2 and 3, that nothing is going on here that Jesus is not fully aware of and and, and not in complete control of. 
that he is not entering anything blindly. And depending on your understanding of Christ, some people would portray Jesus, man, poor guy. You know, he just came here to love people and just came to serve people and just came to give people holy hugs. But by the end, oh my goodness, they arrested him and they beat him up. What a poor guy, man. What, what a, we, we, that's all true, but we have to understand he fully knew what was going on. This was not a mystery to him. These things didn't sneak up on him. Knowing the full extent of humanity, he knew what was going to be happening. He's not entering blindly. And thus we see this foot washing that he does. And, and it's described as a shorter tunic, a shorter garment underneath this long outer garment. And basically this is the kind of dress that slaves would wear so that they would take off the outer garment so that at that time they could then wash the feet of those who were about to dine. It was considered something to do um, cleanliness, um, different purity before they would eat. And in Hebrew culture, um, having someone wash your feet was not something that you could require a Jew to do. This was something a Gentile, a non-Jew would perhaps be allowed to do. But you could not ask another Jew to wash your feet. But I want you to understand, that doesn't mean that uh, good Hebrews didn't do this. Because... They actually did. There were circumstances when perhaps wives or children or disciples would also get down and wash the feet. But there was a level of intimacy involved when that happened. When, when someone very close to you would get down and they would wash your feet, that meant to connote that there was a sense of closeness and, and depth of friendship and love there. And we read in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what am I doing? What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, this, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. He is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So the time again, it's not coincidental here. Jesus, he's doing some very opportune teaching, and he's giving a very clear and very um, strong statement about what he's trying to leave with those who are going to be taking his message to the rest of the world. Um, Jesus here, he realizes, I, I got one more lesson with these cats. I got one more sermon to give them. So what's the message I'm going to leave with them? He's demonstrating a revolutionary view towards traditional views of power and influence. Um, in a world that views leadership in a certain way, he's saying, well, I know you've always heard this is what leadership looks like. This is what power and influence looks like. But guys, here, here is what it looks like in my kingdom. And I'm not just going to tell you, I'm going to show you. And, and, and he gets down and washes their feet. And um, as I think about my life, I've had a lot of jobs before, way before I became a pastor vocationally. I did a lot of jobs since I was a little kid. I've always had like this weird, I, I wouldn't say I always worked hard, but I always had this weird work ethic. It's good to have a job. So since I was like 
I think legal. I, I've been working. Like, I had jobs at 7-Eleven. I worked at Taco Bell. I worked as um, a janitor in a hotel, which is hilarious for those of you who know me because I can't fix anything. But basically, they had me jump on top of the dumpsters and jump around and try to squish everything down. Um, I, in college, I worked as an escort. And I, I don't mean I went on dates with people. But uh, on our campus, they would call up, and I would go walk women across at nighttime. Jobs like that. I worked as a telemarketer trying to sell people credit. I mean, I've done, like, weird stuff, a lot of different jobs. The one commonality I've had in jobs, though, no matter where I entered, my goal was to get to a place where I have less and less people telling me what to do. And as I move through that place, that I can have more and more people that I tell what to do. Like, my goal is to rise up up that ladder and, and be more powerful and to have become maybe a supervisor and have less people supervising me. And, and in a way, I, I would try to try to balance that, shift that balance of power. And I, I want to make clear in one way, um, having authority to direct others is not a bad or improper thing. I would actually say that's a biblical principle that, you know, God calls leaders for a purpose. In the scripture, there's a reason why we have things like elders and deacons and, and roles of leadership. Because in a world where we live in, often in our culture, leadership is looked down upon. It's almost like, hey, you know, we're all exactly the same. Why do we even need leaders? Let's all just lead one another. Um, But the truth is, without strong leadership, um, any organization, including a church, it's not going to have vision. It's not going to have a sense of direction. and It's probably not going to be very effective. So we want to make clear here, Jesus, it's not that he's dismissing leadership. It's not that Jesus is saying, you know, I don't want you leading people. In fact, he knows that these cats that he's scrubbing their nasty, dirty feet, they're going to be world changers. He knows this is his last Bible study he's got with them, and they're going to go off do crazy things because he's not going to be doing that anymore. He's got to equip them. These are going to be leaders among leaders. Rather, he's painting a picture of how you view others how you treat others, how you lead others, and that it will be flipped around from what everyone usually thinks of. And it's leadership that's crafted out of humility. It's leadership that's fueled out of humility. And when we talk about humility in the church, um, sometimes it's a weird kind of idea of what humility is. And maybe it's just the churches I grew up in. Maybe it's a Korean thing. I don't know. But we would like, for instance, if people came up to sing a special song during worship, and you know, it's like, whether it's good or bad, you know, everyone always goes up to them after the, oh, that was so great. That was so beautiful. And like default responses, oh no, that was horrible. That was just, I can't believe God could use my wretched offering. Uh, I hope, I hope someone was blessed through it. And, And you know, that's kind of how we think about humility, this weird twisted, like beat myself up more. And that's what being humble is. But I want to suggest that humility is not about trying to convince ourselves or other people that we're incompetent. It's not about trying to tell people how dumb we are or how, how stupid we are. It's, it's not about trying to beat ourselves up that we feel nothing. Rather than the true, the true nature of humility, we see it in Christ himself. And we have a couple of verses here from Philippians chapter 2. We see this picture of humility modeled in Christ. And in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And this is just me because I am a man of, like, sinful flesh, and I'm, I'm influenced in the voice. If I were to come as the Messiah, 
I think I would have said, yo, pops, I'm going to go down to earth, but make me like the strongest man anyone has ever seen. Make me like come to this earth and be the Messiah and like open a can of, you know, whatever, and be able to like break things and be like the strongest. Or, you know, make me like, uh, like Stephen Hawking. Let me be like the most intellectual person and then I'll be the Messiah. Whoa, I'm going to impress everyone. Let me come like that. Because, you know, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, I should come and really knock the socks off people. Um, or, you know, let me just come as a baller. <laughs> you know, let me be able to like dunk on like 15 foot rims and, you know, just talk, you know, something really impressive. But we see that God had different plans in mind. And when you, and we look in Philippians, it says here, um, uh, t- even though he was in the form of God, in, in some ways we can, dis- we can explain this as because he was in nature, God, because he was in nature, God. So when God came as the form of a servant, he wasn't disguising who he was. And we have a picture up here, I, I think, of Superman, right? Yeah, there we go. Oh, no, no, back, back. There you go. Um, you know, we got Clark Kent on the left there, and then we got Superman on the right. And, and you know the deal, right? Nowadays, it seems like um, having a secret identity is not as important. Like Tony Stark walks around as Iron Man. It doesn't matter, right? But, you know, classic superheroes, you've got your secret identity. You've got your Bruce Wayne or your Clark Kent, and then you have your superhero who can do amazing stuff, your Batman, your Superman. But it's like you're trying to pretend who you are not. You're, you're trying to pretend to be like Clark Kent. Oh, yeah, you know, he's this really like bookish kind of meek, and he's always tripping over himself. He's got no charisma at all and, you know, always fixing his glasses and kind of a nerd. But who he really is is Superman. You know, he's just – and, you know, I don't understand how no one can tell just by taking off a pair of glasses or just a little bit moose in the hair or something. You know, a little product suddenly makes him Superman with a little curly – I don't understand, but he's like a different guy. But he's still the same person. He's just hiding who he really is. And we have to understand that's not who Jesus was when he came as a servant. So it's not that, you know, he was just pretending to act like a servant, to act like a, a holy kind of a servant. But really, you know, he's, he's this powerful thing that he never would serve at all. It's, it's actually both. He is that very powerful king of kings, lord of lords, mighty creator of everything. Yet, because he was God, it's saying he was a servant. It's saying that those two things are not separated. It's not a competing. You're either God or you're servant. Because he was in the very nature of God, he's a servant. He was revealing who he was. Because depending on your experience with church, we've heard these stories of Jesus washing feet so often. I mean, we tend to kind of lose sight of how radical this was. I mean, how, how nutty this idea was. This, this picture, this story, this was intended to be startling. I mean, to the disciples who were there that day, that, that evening, it was meant to be startling. But to you and I who were listening to the story, who were, who were watching, it was meant to be startling as well. And we, we do have this next picture here. And, and again, this is not a political statement, so don't get mad at me. But I just thought this hilarious picture because this is what we usually think of when politicians do servant like projects, right? Kind of, it's more of a photo op. An unnamed politician here. Um, you know, you can tell the dude's like hasn't washed a dish probably in like years. He probably is. What is this thing I'm holding? That water is coming out of it to clean off this large utensil. I mean, he, it's so unnat, and that's why there's pictures of this all over the internet because it's just so goofy looking. It's like he's doing something that's unnatural to him. He's doing something that doesn't fit what he would normally be doing. But it's like a photo op. It's like to give an example. It's to show people, oh, yeah, I serve. I, I, I understand a common man. 
I, I know what it is to get down and dirty, even though I wear my tie and my, I, you know, I, I know how it is to do all those things. Serving often tends to be a gimmick, right? Serving often is this thing that we do, especially in church, because, you know, every church, I mean, as cool as you are, every church has serving as a value. You know, you know as creatively you might talk, every church talks about serving. Um, but Jesus, what he's, what he's demonstrating I mean, he was demonstrating a whole new way of life in general, but he's also talking about how you lead other people. That humility, that service of others, it was not in spite of who he was. So it's not that, oh, he's God, but look, he still served. His humble service was not in spite of who he was, but precisely because of who he is. That because he is God, he naturally serves and humbles himself, even to get down and floss those nasty toes of his followers. And there is no other God that I'm aware of in any world religion where the creator serves the created. Where the creator, the master, serves the follower, the creation. And what Jesus, what Christ here is demonstrating, the service, humble service, it's more than just an action. It's more than just something you do. It's more than a project. It's your attitude. The humble service is an attitude. It's not just what he does. It's a part of who he is. It's not just an activity that he has down on his Google calendar. It's the very essence of his DNA, of his fiber, of, of what makes up who he is. So when we talk in the language of attitude then, um, what we see is that genuine humility, as modeled by Christ, it's a submitted willingness. Humility, as we see modeled by Jesus, it's submitted willingness. What that means is that it's knowing exactly who you are. It's knowing exactly what rights you genuinely have. It's knowing, I am king of kings and lord of lords, and I made all this with a word. It's, it's knowing I could wipe everyone out in an instant. It's knowing I could do stuff that will blow your minds. It's knowing that I can take bread and fish and you know, multiply. It's knowing that I can heal the broken and, and, and make the lame walk. It's knowing I can bring the dead to life. It's knowing I have power way beyond anything you comprehend. Yet, I choose to willingly submit myself. That, that's what Christian humility looks like. It means desiring to give up of yourself to serve others, even those that you lead. And where we're at as a church now at the village, um, I get pretty regular calls or emails from folks, um, you know, uh, people looking to start up new churches in the city or other places and curious because I guess, you know, if you last six years as a church plan in Baltimore, people think that you must be doing something and um, they don't know us, so they don't know that a lot of it's just because of God's favor and grace. But they, they call up and say, hey, can you give me some tips? Or can we get together for coffee and I'll buy it for you? And can you just tell me secrets of how you plant a church? And basically, and you know, I'm not trying to paint a negative picture overall, but basically they're asking, what did you do? What are like some of the ways that you've been able to get this thing going and, and talk about how do you raise money? How have you been able to, how did you get a building? How, how do you get people to come? I mean, that's insane. How, how do you do all these different things? How do you learn to preach? How do you preach to, like, diverse groups of people? Um, and all that's fine. I try to talk about that. But maybe I'm just becoming old and crusty. <laughs> but the more and more I talk with people, I'm so much more about talking about your character than your skills. 
I mean, any, any monkey can learn how to do like, I mean, you gotta have a little bit, but anyone can learn how to do ministry. Anyone can learn how to do these things, but character is what will eventually reveal itself. Who you are as a person, the fruit of the spirit, what kind of um, just person you are. And with that, I just always emphasize with, especially with new church planners, you need to pray to God that he would develop a humble heart in you. Because in my experience, as even as I look at greater Christian culture, I think one of the big things I'm seeing is just a growing and growing arrogance overall. Just, and especially among Christian leaders, that's the sad part. Almost like this like elevating people and you know, um, elevating gifts that are from God, but somehow we give ourselves credit for it. And just almost this really arrogant kind of nature. And, and a lot of this is how we interact with one another. Um, if you just want to get a tainted picture of Christian unlove, I don't even know if that's a word or not, but unlove, go on the internet and just like pull up like some controversial topic and see how Christians go back and forth with each other, whether it's a blog or whether it's a message board. Do people even use message board anymore? I don't know. Or whether it's like comments, just this really lack of grace, very like dark, very mean spirited, very arrogant kind of posture. And, you know, maybe it's just internet muscles, you know, because dudes get real strong on the internet, right, when no one can see who they are. But it, especially with those whom we disagree, just this real lack of charity, a real almost looking down upon, whether it's a political position or whether it's a, a view on a certain topic, especially with people whom we disagree. And I, I want to make clear, it's not saying that we shouldn't call out certain things that are wrong. It's okay to do that. I'm not saying, say everything's okay, you know, everything's, no, no, it's okay to call out things that are, that are wrong and, and even strongly, but we always have to be asking, is, is there a degree of humility involved? Does our character allow humility to be present in all that we do? Why, why am I saying all that? Uh, for us here at the village, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, we are trying to be a community of people that are sending you all out to, to just let people know who God is, to talk about Jesus. And some of that is with people who have some interest in Jesus. But realistically, part of our goal is to send you guys out to all the different uh, tribes represented in this room and talk to people who may have no interest at all in Jesus, who might despise Jesus, who thinks that you're a mental midget because you actually believe in this book and you say that you live your life. They think you're a moron. They think you're a fool. They think you're like, you would read Harry Potter and say, okay, now I'm going to live my life according to what Hermione and Harry do. I mean, they would, that's how ridiculous you seem. Um, I'm thinking back, and I think Adam actually was there. This was our first year as a church. I remember going to this conference where we were talking about how do you communicate the message of Jesus to people who are not Christians. And part of this, they had on stage, they had a, um, like a, a setup where they invited people who are not Christians to this Christian conference. I mean, this is really, really novel stuff. They invited these folks to come up who were brave enough to share why they, what, what their experience was as a, as a non-Christian. And it was really enlightening. It was good stuff. Were you there, Adam? Yeah, you were there, right? Okay. And, and it's, it's amazing. I remember this thing stuck out to me even to this day. Um, to a person, I think one common thing was this perception that they have of Christians is that Christians are just arrogant. That Christians, for all they talk about God and Jesus, they are just, whoa, they're arrogant people. There's, there's no humility 
And if we check ourselves, we have to ask, is there some, is there something that's breeding that? Is that have a grain of truth involved there? So for us, what it reminds me, if, that we're, if we're serious about getting out this message of Jesus, if we're serious about you looking at your neighbors and your coworkers, your friends, your family, people, your neighbors, if we're serious about communicating the message of Jesus, that transformation is not going to become coming from our church getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and being able to buy more billboards and get my beautiful face up on a billboard or up on a bus to move throughout uh, the city on the MTA. It's not going to come through us buying more and more influence in the city or, or having more and more power. It's not going to necessarily happen through those things. But rather than a, through a power play, that transformation perhaps will be ushered through humble service. Perhaps some of that transformation among our neighbors, especially those who would despise Jesus, is going to come from foot washing. This attitude of humbly serving one another. And, and don't hear me wrong, guys. I, you could hear this as if I'm saying this is a revolutionary thought. It's, oh, wow, 2014, we figured out the answer to how to get Jesus to go. It's to be humble. No, guys, this is, this is stuff that's always been around since Jesus. Because we take seriously when he says in like verse 14, then if I, then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So for those of you here at the village, I want to encourage you. That's part of why we offer different serving opportunities here. You got to hear me when I say this. It's not because um, it's really difficult to find people to cut up bagels and to get communion elements ready. I mean, it's not because it's a real stretch to try to find someone who could perhaps run the media or who can hand out a bulletin. I mean, I'm thinking most of you are qualified to be able to fold a piece of paper in half and insert another piece of paper into that folded piece of paper. I think most of us can take care of that stuff. Of course, there are things to get done. But what, one of the reasons we give these different opportunities to serve is that we want you to learn to start serving here. Even in very mundane kind of tasks. Even in stuff that all of you are way overqualified to do. Because there's something helpful in doing something that maybe you are very overqualified to do, but for the sake of humbling yourself to serve. And at our church, as we're trying to train you as leaders, part of it is trying to help you to grow as someone who's learning to serve not just do the extraordinary things that everyone is going to give you likes on Facebook for, but the stuff that maybe no one is ever going to notice. The stuff that no one might even know how it gets done. Whoa, someone folds the papers and the bulletins here? I didn't know that. I thought they just came folded like that. I thought they came printed out. I thought the communion just magically appears up there every Sunday. You know, stuff that maybe no one will ever know about. Watching and taking care of these little ones downstairs. Uh, offering yourself to play music carry stuff around. Come volunteer at a summer Bible camp. So just a mini plug on the back, we, back info table, we have these opportunities to serve cards. And I want to invite you, if you are not serving currently at the church, find something. If you find nothing, talk with us. We will find something for you. This is not just to get things done, but this is part of our commitment to help you to grow and develop as a follower of Jesus. And, and hopefully that spreads throughout Baltimore, that what starts here, that, that grain, that, that seed starts to get into your heart and starts to teach you what it means to serve other people. And, and you go out and you serve your neighbor. 
You offer yourself to your friends. You offer yourself to people you don't even know. You offer to shovel someone's walk, maybe your neighbor. You help carry in groceries. You, you start to do repair projects for people maybe that are unable to do so, whatever it might look like. But it's humility lived out. And, and I want to suggest this. If you do it right, if you serve in the way that the Bible's calling you to serve, if you try to humble yourself in the way that the scriptures are calling to, you, if you're like me, are going to recognize you're not as humble of a servant as you thought you were. If you're doing it, if you're trying to really obey and trying to have that humble servant attitude, you're probably going to get to a point, if you keep doing it, you're going to realize, man, I'm not as humble as I thought I was. Dag, everyone's already always told me how humble I am, but I, I don't think I am. Um, I, having the mission team here this week, the youth team, it reminds me of when I was younger. Um, I used to go on a lot of different projects and retreats when I was in high school age. And man, you should have seen me at these retreats or different stuff. When it was time to help, I was like the best helper. Man, I would like fold stuff up. I would carry things. I would always be, you know, and making sure like everyone noticed, especially young ladies. But, you know, I would be that guy like doing everything and working really hard and setting stuff up. And I was like, hey, what, what else can I do? Can I do more? How can I serve? How? But then the real test would be when I go home from a long weekend of a retreat or a long week of camp and go home, and then where do you find me? Laid out on the couch. Mom, we got any food? Mom, the remote's too far away. Can you come get it for me? Oh, man, can't the trash take itself out? And, and just become this total bum when no one else is around. That, that for, for me, humble service was an activity. It's something I did, but it wasn't necessarily a part of my being. Because it's much easier to do than it is to be, right? It's much easier to do something that's serving than to actually be someone who serves. Not just an action, but an attitude. Because an action, you don't have to need Jesus to make your action servanthood. But to have an attitude of a humble servant, that takes a whole level of transformation that you cannot produce yourself. And and if you get it, again, if you push that far enough, you're going to realize, I think that you're pretty similar to me. I much prefer to be served than to serve. That's why we love vacation so much, right? That's why people who go on vacation are horrendous because we throw away any sense of cleaning up after ourselves. We love having other people who are going to clean up after us. I mean, that's almost like we feel the goal is to work hard enough that one day I can get to, I don't have to serve anyone. That I'll have more and more people serving me. And if you're feeling hopeless, that's not the worst place to be. Because that's what leads you to Christ. If you're feeling, man, I'm not as humble. Man, I'm not as much of a servant. Guys, that's not a bad place to be because that's ultimately going to be what makes you say, I need help. I need Christ. We have a couple of verses up here. John 13, 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Philippians 2.8 says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And I I put these up here, as I mentioned earlier, you need to recognize none of this snuck up on Jesus. None of this caught him off guard. None of this was, you know, I don't really feel like being humble, but I guess it's being forced upon me. He fully knew what was happening here. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things and being found in human form, he humbled himself. These are things he was aware of. So think about the implications, what that means. That means when you had these soldiers at the end, who are mocking Jesus, who have called him in a sham of a trial. He's sitting there, he's, and they're punching him. He's like, where'd the punch come from? 
And they're, they're putting crown of thorns on his head and they're just mocking him and they're, they're rolling dice for his clothes and they're just making a, a sham of who he is and just playing him like the punk. Spitting on him, beating him with their fists. You know what this means, right? That means every little granule of spit that was being flown from someone's mouth, every little, and I'm not a scientist, so I don't know how to explain it, but every like molecule that it took to put together that little piece of spit, he created that. It's all from him. That, that punch, that flu, he created the sinews and the muscles and the bones and ligaments to be able to form a fist that could be thrown through the air to be able to hit a face and to knock someone out and draw blood. He did all this. He is the master of all. He's the creator of all. Jesus was not a victim. It, it, this was all very purposeful. and It was all very intentional. And it doesn't mean that what was done to Jesus was right. But we have to be clear, it was his plan all along and to usher in a revolutionary way that we would change the world. Because the ultimate form of of humble service is when we look at this humble servant Jesus, though he had rights to every authority and power and, and at any snap of finger, he could have all the soldiers bowing down and legions of angels coming to make them bow down if they don't want to bow down. Though he had that kind of authority, he chose to humble himself. Not just in washing feet, but ultimately humble himself to the point of death to go to this thing called a cross. And and that's how he serves us. That's how ultimately Jesus serves us. That, That the creator, he serves the creation by becoming our sacrifice for our sin, for our brokenness. And guys, it's not just that he removes the bad from us, but he also gives us his righteousness. It's not just that he takes away the sin, but he gives us himself. And what that means is the more and more we walk in our union with Jesus, the more and more you walk in following him, you actually become more and more humble because you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's how we change. And in in a few moments, I'm going to invite us up to, to respond through song, but also through the Lord's Supper here, the communion. And those of you who are familiar with church, um, you, you come up and we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And this is a very significant aspect of our worship because we're people who are prone to forget. But you take a piece of this wafer, you remember his body that was busted up, and you dip it in the cup there and you take it there. And as you take it, you remember this Jesus who was washing the feet of people who knew were going to punk him out in less than a day. He's sitting there scrubbing the toes of dudes he knows who are going to deny him to their face. He's sitting there washing and loving and being kind to people who are all going to run away and scared. And even though they committed to say, we'll always stand with you, Jesus. Not me, maybe that guy. That they will always run away. And yet, what does Jesus do? He serves them. He loves them. And he shares this love supper with them. And why that gives me hope, why I love to take communion, is I need to be reminded that I'm not a loving guy. I'm not a humble guy. I serve much better when I know people are watching. Any of you like that, or is that just me? (laughs) And yet Christ loves me. He wants me. And he wants to say, I want to dine with you. And guys, that's our hope. Not that we're good, but that Jesus is good. 
So if you're a Christian, I would encourage you during this time, after you've prayed, whenever you're ready, come up. Maybe come up with some other people and take communion and be reminded of the Jesus who is humility, who is the humble servant. And that's how he changes our hearts, by his kindness. Our repentance is, we're brought to repentance. If you're not a Christian, if for you, if, if being a Christian has always been about being a good person or trying harder or trying to be more kind, can I encourage you to get to the point where you recognize you can never be kind enough. You can never serve enough. You can never be humble enough. That's why Jesus gave himself so that you could be made right. Receive him today. Say you want to follow him. Pray to him. Say, Jesus, save me. Thank you for dying for me. I want to receive that. And you can jot that down on your connection card. You can talk to, uh, talk to us. We'd love to pray with you and let us know. So bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we, um, as we think about serving you, as we think about humility, I, I don't think any of us, whether we're a Christian or not, recognize that serving others are good. It's a good thing to do. That's a good character trait. That's We'd love to see more people in the city serving others. We want our neighbors to serve each other. But God, the way that the world operates is uh, we serve if it benefits us in some way. Um, maybe not even tangibly, financially, or or status, but Lord, that we feel better about ourselves, We feel like we're contributing to society. We're being a good neighbor. But Lord, uh, the model of humble service you're showing us is serving and loving and sacrificing even when people don't appreciate it. A kind of humble service where you're giving yourself for people who would deny you. You're washing the feet selflessly of people who are going to just say they don't even know you, though they've walked with you for years. And God, that's the kind of message that, that's deeper than just being a nice person, because you don't need Jesus to be a nice person. But Lord, the kind of humble servanthood, the kind of humble leadership that we're talking about requires Jesus. So meet us in this place right now as we enter into time of the communion and singing and prayer. Um, reveal the areas where we're not humble. Reveal the areas where our, our service hits a limit and meet us at that point where we're helpless and throw up our hands and say, we need someone who's bigger than us. We need someone kinder than us. We need the humble servant leader, Jesus Christ himself. So meet us in that place, Lord. So I encourage you to pray. If you want to pray with other people, feel free to do so. And whenever you're ready, you can begin singing or you can come up. And again, you can come up in pairs, groups, or individually, and we have two separate stations here, so just come up. Let's have two lines going up there in either way, and let that be part of your worship here if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you, use this time to pray. Ask, maybe come talk to someone or, or just ask God. Meet me in this place as well. So let's do that as we respond to the word today.